Carla, God bless you. It's good to have you in the Lord's house today. Glad that you're here. I'm going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15 today. Uh, in the month of September, I've kind of been talking about uh, parenting and families. Uh, the first Sunday of the month, we talked about uh, the obligation that uh, parents have their, to their kids and kids to their parents. Last week, we talked about being a grandparent. Uh, I guess that's a great joy. I don't know. I hear it's a pretty good gig. Huh? Isn't it? It's a pretty cool thing being a grandparent. And uh, well, okay, we're still out on that. Today, um, I'm, I'm going to talk to to you about uh, uh, a little bit of hope for those of you parents who are hurting. Uh, I told the first service people right before I got up, I, I changed the sermon title to uh, "Kids Gone Wild" <laughs> uh, because that's what Luke chapter 15 is all about. Uh, you know, I'm 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 just uh, t- trying to struggle, doing the best I can to to raise my kids. And I know by looking at me, you'd think, "Well, you, you must have grandkids." No, I'm not that old. Uh, I've just been pastoring y'all for a long time. That's uh, that's the reason my hair's white and falling out. It does remind me, though, of of uh, this one preacher I heard about. Um, before he got married, he had this sermon or this lecture that he'd go out and give about uh, about parenting and raising kids, and and it was entitled "How to Raise Your Children." And it was pretty dogmatic. He gave all these steps, but he did he wasn't even married, you know. And then he got married, and uh, he changed his uh, lecture to "Some Suggestions to Parents." And then he had some kids and they started growing up and uh, he changed the same lecture to feeble hints to fellow strugglers. <laughs> and then they turned into teenagers and he quit giving the lecture altogether. So uh, don't laugh. Uh, here we got a great story in Luke chapter 15. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this story before we read it. Uh, Luke chapter 15 verse 11 is the story of the prodigal son. And, and what we see in this story, this parable that Jesus gives, is Jesus is telling us this is the way the Heavenly Father is. Okay, This is the way our God is to those of us, His children, people like you and me, who stray from Him, who rebel, who go away. God the Father is loving and forgiving, and He's ready to receive you when you're ready to come home. Let me read the story, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then He said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, because no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. This morning we're going to look at this parable from a parent's perspective. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us and teach us and show us what we need to learn today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why is it that kids of good, godly parents go astray? I wish I knew the answer, but, but I don't have the answer to that question. I have absolutely no idea why they do that. But yet all through the Bible, we have many godly parents who had kids that went haywire. Adam, Noah, Samuel, Eli, David... All of these godly men had children that went astray. Even today, in our own church, many godly parents have kids that go the wrong way. And I don't know why. But today I want us to look at this passage of Scripture that shows us not why they go wrong, but what we do when our kids rebel. In fact, there are three stages in this story that I'd like to share with you. Stage one is rebellion. Stage two is reevaluation. And stage three, hopefully, is return. Uh, let's look at each one of these stages. Stage one is rebellion. You know, in every parent child relationship, there is a power struggle. Amen. From day one, the issue is who is in control? And at first, when these little babies are born, the parent is 100% in control because they're doing everything. But as these kids grow up, the control begins to shift. When does it start? I think when they're two. That's why we call it the what? Terrible twos. Kids want control quicker than parents want to give it to them. Verse 12 is the classic confrontation. In verse 12, this teenage boy said to his father, Daddy, give me my share of the inheritance. Give me what's coming to me. I, I can just hear his mind. He he's saying to himself, you know what? If I could just get out of this place and do what I want to do, be my own, my own boss, nobody to answer to, man, life would be great. I am so sick and tired of this stinking farm dealing with my brother and my parents, I just want out of here. Now, we don't know how old this kid was. Many speculate he was around 17 or 18 years old. I don't know, but he comes to his dad and says, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance, which was really a slap in the face to the dad. His dad wasn't even dead. <laughs> give me what's coming to me, Dad. And then look at verse 13. Not many days after that, the younger son gathered everything he had together. He journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. I like the translations that say he went out and wasted everything in wild living, because that's exactly what he did. He was living wild. He heads off for Sunset Strip in Jerusalem. He's cruising down the boulevard on the Camelac. He's partying. He's having a great time. He's finally getting to do all the things he couldn't do back home. Let me stop right here and ask you, 
What do you do? What do you do when your kid is old enough and you can't control them any longer and they just say, I'm out of here. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm split and I'm going to go do my own thing. I want my half of the inheritance. I'm going to leave. What do you do? We have a perfect father in this story. Okay, This is the perfect father. Let me share with you what the perfect father did. He did three things. This is... This is non-conventional thinking. Some of you are going to be flabbergasted when, when I tell you what he did and what you need to do because you, probably you're not going to agree with it. But this is what the perfect father did when his teenage boy who was of age came and said, I'm out of here. Here's what he did. Number one, he let him go. He let him go. The Bible says in verse 13, the young man journeyed off to a far country. Notice the father is not chasing him down the road trying to stop him. He released him. Now let me just do another time. I'm going to do several timeouts today. Let me do a little timeout here and say, you know what? It kind of makes sense. Because from birth, we're preparing our children to leave home, aren't we? I mean, isn't that the goal? And there are a few times we want to go ahead and pack their suitcase. But honestly, probably the hardest thing in parenting is knowing when do I hold on and when do I let go? Really, when do you let them go? If your 18-year-old comes to you and says, I want my half of the inheritance, and by the way, I'm going to go to Las Vegas and blow it all and waste it all and mess up my life, would you give it to them? No way. You know, it's interesting to me that money is the one of the ways, probably the main way, that we try to hold on to our kids. It probably seemed foolish to his father, and he no doubt tried to reason with this son to no avail. But this young man is determined to leave. Really, the tighter we hold on to our kids, the more they resist it. And sooner or later, one day, it's all going to explode anyway. So here's what you do. You let them go. And that is hard. But that's what this father did. He let him go. I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, uh, I guess because I told the first service people, but when I was writing this this week, it made, this reminded me of when I was growing up in Midland, Texas. Uh, I, was, I was like seven years old, all right? And my parents kicked me out of the house. And told me to, no, not really. I, we lived out in the country in Midland. Everybody had an acre out there. We actually had three acres. But across the street and, and down one uh, was this, uh, this family that lived there. And they had a teenage son. Okay, I was like seven. I don't know how old he was, 16, 15, 17. I have no idea how old he was. I don't remember. But he was a teenage boy. And one day he decided he was sick of school. He was going to quit school. Do you all remember this story? Let me, vaguely, let me remind you, you'll remember, I remember. I didn't dream this one up, I know what happened. He decided he was going to quit school. Sick of school. He wanted a job to make money. And so his dad, being a wise father like this guy in our parable, said, okay, I'll let you quit school. I'll even give you a job. So he handed him a shovel. Put him in the front yard and let him dig ditches. He said, son, if you quit school, this is the best job you're ever going to have. So have at it. That next morning when I got on the bus before daylight, he was out there digging ditches. 
When I came home at 4 o'clock and got off the bus, guess what? That kid was still out there digging ditches. When I went in from playing out in the front yard to eat dinner at 6 o'clock, he was still out there digging ditches. He did it again the next day. And the third day, he was dumb. But he finally came to his senses. On the fourth day, he was back on the bus. <laughs> what do you do when your kid rebels? You let them go. Number two, you let them make their own mistakes. Verse 13, this kid went and squandered his wealth in wild living. Now at first, it's great. It's a big party. He tries everything that was forbidden at home. He throws out his parents' value system. And he totally rejects his raising and his background. He wasted his life. Can I stop right here and tell you, rebellion is always a waste. Now do you think his father knew he was going to waste that money? Without a doubt. Do you think his father knew his son was headed for trouble? Undoubtedly. Do you think that he was tempted to send letters to advise his son? Yes, he was. But this is the perfect father. And he realized that there are some things we can only learn through pain. This son is stubborn. So he's going to have to go through the school of hard knocks. Let me tell you, as parents, we don't want our kids to have to do this, do we? It's risky. But it was the only way this kid could learn. So his daddy let him make his own mistakes. Third thing this dad did, you let him reap the consequences of their own choices. Look at verse 14. After he had spent all that he had, he began to be in need. Uh, dude, there's a price tag for rebellion. The Bible says, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed his swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, because no one gave him anything. Let me tell you something. This kid has hit rock bottom. Hard times. The party's over. In our day, he would be living downtown next to the river in a cardboard box eating food out of the garbage can. That's how low it had gotten. He was broke and friendless. Empty pockets, empty life, empty stomach. Wow. I wonder how his parents felt. Well, let me just stop and ask you. How would you feel? How would you feel if that was your kids? Maybe, maybe you would be asking, why is my kid doing this? Maybe you would ask the question, where did I go wrong as a parent? Let me tell you, the Bible gives no indication that this happened because of bad parenting. Quite the opposite. This was the perfect parent. The fact is, all of us make mistakes as parents, don't we? Can I see the hand of a perfect parent in this room? Well, let me put mine down. There is no such thing as a perfect parent or grandparent. We all make mistakes. 
But let me also say quickly that you are not the only influence in your kid's life. You, you need to wake up to the fact that your kids are going to make their own choices. And no matter how much you try to control your kid's life, you can't control your kid's life. They're going to have friends that you don't control. They're going to read books that you don't control. They're going to have teachers and other influencers that you don't control. And it is not fair for you to continually keep beating yourself up or blaming yourself because it's not all your fault. Kids grow up and they make their own decisions. You made decisions, didn't you? I tell you, I can think back on some of the stupid things I did as a kid. It wasn't my parents' faults. All the junk I got into, that was my fault. And God understands that. Even Listen, even if you were a perfect parent, there are kids who will still rebel. How do I know that? Well, you answer me, is God a perfect parent? It's not a trick question. Is God a perfect parent? Does God have children who rebel? Yeah. You can't feel guilty over something that you can't co totally control. So stage one, you let them go. You let them make their own mistakes. You let them reap the consequences of their own choices. Now this is tough. I mean, it's tough as a parent. Let me tell you, for some kids, it's the only way they're going to learn. The great temptation when they hit bottom is to intervene. Amen? To bail them out, to send a care package, to fly out and see them, to send money. But this father knew that nature had a way of disciplining our kids that we can never accomplish on our own. So don't short-circuit the natural consequences of the choices your kids make. If they make a bad choice and hit bottom, they need to reap that choice. That's how they're going to learn. That's tough. But it's what this father did. And because the father did not intervene, we get to go to stage two. And what is stage two? It's reevaluation. Reevaluation. Look what happens in verse 17. But when he came to himself, man, I love that. I like the translation that says, when he came to his senses. <laughs> he woke up. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I don't know if you can see it, but there is a huge change in this boy's attitude. He says, give me when he's leaving. Daddy, give me my share of the inheritance. But after he hits rock bottom, he comes back and says, Daddy, would you please make me? Like one of your servants. Huge difference in attitude. He now has an attitude of submission. He goes through a stage of re-evaluation. He begins to wise up and to face the facts. He asks himself, what in the world am I doing? I've made a mess of my life. I'm in a 
pig's pen, slopping pigs. I've lost all of my money, all of my food, all of my friends, everything. And when he hit rock bottom, he began to reevaluate. He came to his senses. He woke up to the fact that his life was a mess. You know what came next? Regrets. Boy, he had plenty of them. Here I am in a pig pen. This place stinks. It's horrible. You know what? Back home on my dad's ranch, hired servants, our hired hands, have it a hundred times better than I have it right now. Honestly, guys, listen to me. We never change until we get desperate. Do we? He got desperate. Some of your kids are not desperate enough yet. They're going to have to hit rock bottom first. For some kids, it doesn't take a whole lot for that to happen. Other kids have to be hit on the head. <laughs> not literally, but they need to be hit on, they need to wake up. Don't they? How do I know that? Well, because some of you had to be hit on the head before you came to your senses. So there's reevaluation. There's regret. That leads to repentance. He says, you know what, I'm going to go back home. Not for a change of clothes, but for a changed heart. He left saying, give me. He comes back home asking his father to make him. Now, what do we as parents do during this time? Our kid is left home. They're rebelling. They're out wasting their life. They're ruining their life in our eyes. What do we do? What do we do until they come to their senses? What do we do when they're still coming to their senses and reevaluating and repenting? What do we do? Let me suggest three things. Number one is pretty obvious. We pray. We pray for them. We pray for our kids. We pray. We pray. We don't stop praying. We never stop praying. Did you realize that your children, your grandchildren, are under the attack of the devil? The best thing we can do for them is to pray. Listen to me, even if your kids are not rebelling, the best thing you can do for them is to pray. I'm thinking back to a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching to, to you dads about how you treat your kids. You know, I should have said this back then. Uh, our, our families and our homes would be so much better if you, if you stopped griping at your kids so much and started praying for your kids. But that doesn't, that's a side issue. I should have said that two weeks ago, huh? But it's true. You pray for them. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty peaceable guy, aren't I? Thank you. I don't go looking for trouble. I don't go, Ron, I don't go pig fights with people. I just, it's not the way I roll, man. I was, listen, I was watching a video this week of this preacher. Uh, <laughs> he was calling people out in his church. He was, he was confronting people and calling them out from the pulpit by name, chastising them, telling the whole church about their bad attitudes and their sins. He was getting all over people. That confrontational pastor. I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. Right, right before I resign, that's what I'm going <laughs> to that, uh, it's not the way I roll. I'm not a fighter. But let me tell you something. If I see somebody beating up my kid, 
If I see somebody abusing my kid, if I see somebody doing something to my kid that they can't protect themselves from, you better believe I want to be in the big middle of it. And you don't want to mess with this. You know what I'm saying? Aren't you the same way? Aren't you? Don't you love your kids? Wouldn't you protect your kids? Well, then let's wake up to the fact that every day they are being attacked spiritually by the evil force of this world. The Apostle Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The greatest thing you can do for your kid is to pray for your kid. And if your child is in rebellion, wow, you need to be praying hard and never stop praying. The second thing you do during this waiting period is that you commit them to God. You commit them to God. Now, here's something that is very comforting to me as a parent. To know that the things that are out of my control are not out of God's control. Okay? Isn't that cool? Um, I remember when, uh, when we sent Whitney off to kindergarten the first day. I'll never forget this day. We lived in Pine Bluff, and we sent Whitney to kindergarten uh, in Pine Bluff. And it was, let me tell you, it was hard. It was hard. It was scary for us. I started doing something that morning when I took Whitney to school that I have continued all through the years with all three of my kids. Every day I say a little prayer that goes something like this. Lord, I don't know what all my kids are going to be challenged with today and what they're going to face. But I know it's out of my control. I can't be there with them. I can't protect them. I can't watch over them all the time. But Lord, I know you have them in your control. And Lord, I commit them to your care. And I know that you're going to take better care of them than I ever could. So Lord, I commit them to you. And guys, that's what we need to be doing with our kids. Commit them to the Lord. And then number three, you wait patiently. You wait and you wait. Sometimes you have to wait a long time. There's always a waiting period. Many of you right now are in that waiting period. And for some kids it takes longer than it does for others. But don't short-circuit God's natural discipline. You wait. Now, let me time out again. Again, I'm not talking about a kid in grade school. Okay? it's not what I'm talking about here. If you've got a nine-year-old that's giving you lip and rebelling, ain't going to do that, you need to read the book of Proverbs and then get after it. Oh, boy. One thing I hate about being online is that everybody can see this. I may have a lawsuit coming next week for saying something like that. Mm. What I'm talking about is a teenager that is rebelling and saying, I'm out of here. What do you do? You pray, you commit, you wait. Because this father, who in this story represents God, the perfect father, did it right, they get to go to stage three. All right, And here's stage three, the return. The return. How, how you handle the return of your child is absolutely crucial. Look at verse 20. He arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, he had compassion, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now that's amazing. Notice this, at the beginning of the story when the kid was leaving, the father wasn't chasing him down the road trying to stop him. He let him go. But now when he repents and comes back home, now the father's running out to meet him. Mm. Amazing. 
Remember, this is the ideal father. He did three things when his son came home. What three things are they that we need to do when our kids come home? Number one, you love them faithfully. It says in verse 20, His father saw him and was filled with compassion. Listen to me, parents. No matter how far they fall, no matter how long you wait, you always, always, always leave the door open for reconciliation. You love your kids faithfully. We're talking about a stubborn kind of love that won't give up. You don't bail them out in advance because if you do that, they're not going to learn the lesson if you bail them out in advance. You let them reap the consequences of their own sins. That's called tough love. Realize that for some kids, the only way they're going to learn is to face the consequences of their own decisions. That may mean, listen to me, that may mean that your kid has to spend a night in jail. They may have to hit rock bottom first. It may mean an unwanted pregnancy. It may mean a drug addiction. We don't like to talk about these things and you, you wish I would just shut up right now. Because you don't even want to think about that. But listen to me, it's out of your control anyway. You need to be ready that when that kid wises up and comes to their senses, you are ready as a parent to love them faithfully. Number two, you accept them unconditionally. I like what this daddy did. Verse 20, it says he ran out, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Well, that is a moving picture of, a, of acceptance, is it not? He, he didn't wait for his son to get all the way back home. He saw him coming, and he ran out to meet him. In ancient times, fathers never ran. They wore these long robes. It was to lose face to run. He didn't care. He threw caution to the wind. He didn't care about customs. He ran out there to meet his son. And notice he didn't say, here are the conditions of my love. He didn't say to his boy, you get a bath and a haircut and a shave and then I'll think about hugging you. you got to remember where this kid is coming from. He was in the pig pen. He probably had just gotten up out of all that slop and it was all over him. It was matted in his hair. Have you ever been to a pig farm? Dude, it It stinks. He had spent several days walking across the desert. He hasn't had a shower. He was crusted over with gunk. But his father could care less. He runs out there, gives him a big bear hug and loves on him. What a moving picture. I, I know what some of you are thinking because I've, I've been here long enough to read your minds. The preacher, I don't know about that. How in the world could I accept Him without lowering my standards? You don't have to. You need to understand the difference between acceptance and approval. You may accept someone without approving their lifestyle. That's the way Jesus rolled. <laughs> he accepted everyone, even sinners. 
He accepted everyone without approving of their lifestyle. You know what? As followers of Jesus, we need to do the same thing. We need to love on people. We need to accept people. And we can do that without approving of the way they're living. You can accept the child in rebellion without approving of that child's lifestyle. You know what? Sometimes a great big old bear hug makes all the difference in the world. It breaks down barriers. I want you to notice the son's confession. He had practiced it. Back when he was living with the pigs, he rehearsed what he was going to say to his dad. And here it is, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is huge, isn't it? For a teenage boy to swallow his pride and to say, Daddy, I've messed up. I've sinned. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Would you please forgive me? As I read that, I, I got to thinking about it. How easy do we make it for our kids to do something like that? Really, how easy do we make it for them? Do we make it too hard for them? In this story, the Father represents God. He is the perfect Father. He, he didn't need to confess anything because He's God and He didn't mess up. But you know what? For us, it's different because we're not perfect. And usually when our kids come back home after a time of rebelling, there needs to be mutual confession. The kid needs to say, hey, I messed up. Forgive me. The parent probably needs to say, you know what? I've messed up too. I haven't been the right kind of parent or the right kind of father or the right kind of mother. Would you forgive me? There is mutual confession and there is reconciliation. So here's what you do when they come home. You love them faithfully with a stubborn kind of love. Number two, you accept them unconditionally. And number three, you forgive them completely. If and when they come home, you forgive them completely. Look at verse 22. But the father said to his servant, No, you bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf over here and let's kill it. Let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. I want you to notice something here. God doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out. <laughs> This father didn't say, dude, I told you so. Man, I knew this was going to happen to you. I knew you were going to go out there and waste your life. No, let me tell you, when this boy came home at this point, the last thing this kid needed was a sermon. He had already had his sermon. Life had taught him the sermon. The school of hard knocks had taught him the sermon he needed. So instead of rubbing it in, this father gave him a second chance. You know what? That's what we're here for. As parents, we are there to forgive our children completely. We are here to give them a second chance. Because the world is not going to. Honestly, this story really should not be called the story of the prodigal son because the son is not the hero. It should be called something like, here's a story about a loving father because the father is the hero. This story represents exactly how God deals with your rebellion and my rebellion. 
Like this son, we go out and we mess up our own lives. We go out and compromise. We go out and do wrong things and make bad choices. But then we come to our senses. And when we repent and come back to God, God the Father does the same thing as this father did. He gives us a second chance. He embraces us and kisses us and loves on us. That is what every person in the river valley needs to hear. That our God is the God of second chances. He takes our lives and remolds them and refashions them and makes something beautiful out of a total mess that we've made. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Now this story has a happy ending. The son come back, came back home. Father did everything right. He watched his son leave. He didn't try to stop him. He let him uh, reap the results of his choices. He prayed. He waited. He committed. When the son came back home, he accepted him lovingly and unconditionally, and he forgave him completely, and it was happy. They, they, feel, they killed the fatted calf, and they celebrated. Happy, happy, happy. But maybe the jury is still out on your children. You don't know how your child is going to end up. Some of you have some preteen kids in your home right now, and you're starting to see the first signs of rebellion, and it scares you to death. Some of you have kids right now that are breaking your heart. Maybe it's because they have rejected everything that you hold dear. They've spurned your values. They've rejected your God. And they're hurting you. And there's all kinds of emotions that you have. You're embarrassed. You're angered. You're wondering why. Why has this happened to my kid? Why has this happened to me? I can't answer that. But here is what I can suggest. My word to you is you need to give that to God. You need to give God your hurt. Do you think God understands what it's like to have rebellious children? Yes! He understands. He knows exactly how you feel today. That's why it hurts Him when you do the wrong thing. So you need to come today and give your hurt to God. Commit your kids to God. That's to parents. I've got a word to teenagers. Because undoubtedly we have some teenagers in our church and maybe, maybe you're right there on that rebellious stage. Maybe, maybe you're having rebellious thoughts. Maybe it's kind of running through your mind. You know, I'm, I'm getting pretty sick and tired of this. I think I'm about to get ready to get out of here. You've got some pretty negative influences in your life. You're thinking about doing the wrong kinds of things. You know, I said this first service and I believe it. I think every kid, every teenager, no matter how good they are, no matter how godly they are, they're going to have some streaks of rebellion in them. You may disagree with me, but you prove me wrong. I was, I was probably a perfect teenager. <laughs> no, that's a lie. Let me tell you what, I had godly parents. I was saved when I was six. I was called to preach when I was 11. I started preaching when I was 12. Every time the doors of the church were open, I was there. I've never smoked. 
I've never tasted, I've never drank alcohol. I don't ever remember saying a cuss word. Just the way I was raised. And I'm definitely not bragging on myself because let me tell you what. Even, even as holy and godly as that is, there was a streak of rebellion in me as wide as Rogers Avenue. Every teenager faces it. I tell my kids, and I want to tell the kids in this church today, you may be facing that rebellion and you may be tempted to do wrong things, but before you do it, you need to come to your senses and you need to realize exactly what you're messing up if you make those choices. You're messing up your life. You're going to do things that you will regret and that will haunt you for the rest of your life. My advice to you is just don't do them. Don't rebel. No matter how much temptation is put on you by this world and by your schoolmates and by our media, don't do it. Stand firm. Be a godly young person. Do the right thing. And then for all of us, for everyone in this room, there may be some of you here today who are away from God. You're away from your Heavenly Father. Understand that He is waiting for you to come back home. You've drifted. You're far. There's a wedge between you and Him. Let me tell you how God looks at you today. God is looking at you just like this father looked for his son. God is looking down at this church service today wondering, are they going to come back home today? Oh, I pray my child comes home. And if you take that step towards Him, if you say, you know what, I, I've been doing the I need to get back with the Lord. I need to start doing the right thing. If you will make that decision and take that first step, God will come running to you. And He will embrace you and He will kiss you and He will love on you. He will forgive you. He will restore you. And He will bless you. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would take this passage and these words that have been spoken and uh, work on our hearts. Jesus, if there is someone here today who's never been saved, I pray that today they would come and receive Christ as their Savior. If there is a Christian here today that's away from you and backslidden, Lord, I pray that they would come home today. Please, Lord, help them to come home. Lord, if there is a teenager that is in rebellion, I pray that they would submit not only to your authority, but to their parents' authority. Lord, for any parent or grandparent that is here today and, and they have a child that is in rebellion, may they come to the altar, dear Lord, and have the freedom to give you their hurts and commit their kids and their grandkids to you. And then, dear Lord, for the rest of us who are parents and grandparents, even, even if everything in our house is great and we're all happy and doing well, may we not miss this opportunity to come and pray for our kids in our home. To pray that hedge of protection around our family. Lord, I know you're going to do some great and awesome things in the lives of these who are here. We just wait to see it, Lord. Begin right now. Have your way in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is speaking to you and you'd like to come pray, I tell you, the altars are open. Would you, would you come right now? Bring your hurt to God. Come back home to Him. Bring your children to the Lord. As God speaks to you, would you come? Come now. Thank you.